Recording from New York and Los Angeles, your hosts, Nicole Katz and Brianna Klein, are lined up on the grid for this week's Gridwalk. Engines are fired up, ready to broadcast to you every Thursday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and more. Subscribe, like the video, turn on auto downloads, and leave a review to provide us with a fresh set of tires. Today, Gridwalk will take pit stops at... Welcome back to Gridwalk. It is officially season two. Unbelievable. Can't believe it. Looks a little different, kinda. (laughs) Just a little. On the show today, we're gonna discuss what Haas is gonna look like now that Gunther is no longer the team principal there, which really feels like Haas without the Haas, even though I get that Gunther is not a Haas, but he really was Haas. So what is it gonna look like post-Gunther? We're gonna discuss all the FIA just purchase that have happened over the last month and a half and just how bad of a sign is it for F1. We have almost all the announcements in our road to 2026 of what engines all the customer teams are going with. We're gonna discuss whether or not Mercedes is gonna dominate the 2026 engine regulations. I think McLaren and Williams are betting that they will. We'll finally discuss everything that happened with a rollout of a AI influencer over the last couple weeks and should AI influencers even exist? And last, but definitely not least, Williams has been my favorite headlining team of the offseason so far. They're doing so many fun things. And I want to know, are they going to outdo Red Bull with the New York City launch this year? And with that, take it away, voiceover man. It's lights out and away we go on this week's Gridwalk. Step right up, step right up and see the wonders of the traveling motor circus. It feels unbelievably fitting that the first segment of the first episode of season two we are heading to the circus for something. It just encapsulates everything F1, and it's just so fitting. Like, it's time to head to the circus tent to talk about the fact that Haas is now Guntherless. That's mind-blowing to me. Yeah, it it was... I couldn't... I didn't believe the announcement as I was reading it. It was one of those things that, like, no matter what happened, it would not have been on my 2024 like preseason bingo card did not see that announcement coming um at least like right before the start of the season this way it was a a a little bit of a shock for me yeah i don't think it how about let me i can look at this from two different angles if this was any other team under any other structure in any other sport you tell me the performance of Haas, it would not be shocking to me that the leader of that organization, whether it's a coach, a GM, an F1, a team principal is let go. But I just thought Haas was Gunther because Gunther and Gene Haas put this team together together. Like this team existing was Gunther's idea. So I, I just never thought, I didn't think Gene Haas cared. Yeah, at this point, it's been so long that it was like, if this, if it was going to get to like this point of Gunther, quote unquote, maybe being the problem or connected to said problem, then it would have happened like a long time ago and not now. It seems a little strange to be taking someone who was as tied to like the formation of it all, um, just bye bye, especially in the way that it all did, but we'll get into that in a little bit. So someone has to be right 
in my, in my opinion, in the fun of debating this, someone has to be right. So apparently what this came down to is that Gunther Steiner thinks that Gene Haas needs to invest more in the team in order for them to get better performance than back of the grid. And Gene Haas believes that he doesn't need to invest any more money or energy into this and that they should be performing with the resources they're given. So Nicole, who is right? Well, here I, I don't necessarily think that... Um... I feel like more money could always help, but I don't necessarily think that that would be like the one-all fix for Haas. I think that there's um, what they're working with and like, you know, maybe not that like their talent is less, but kind of like the cards that you have dealt, there's, you know, not much there can be doing with that. So maybe more money could like solve that in terms of different talent, maybe and such, but I don't think with everything that is currently at Haas, there's necessarily the tools to succeed. Um, but I, so I'm going to go with Gunther being right, even though I feel like, you know, that not necessarily money would fix everything at Haas. I think Gunther is right, but I agree with you that I don't think it's necessarily money. It's money invested in the right places. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Haas is set up and structured differently than most teams on the grid. For starters, they have about six different headquarters. They have their American Haas headquarters that are pretty much barely used. They have a UK-based headquarter where most of the race team operates out of. Their chassis is actually developed by Delara in Italy. And then, of course, they take as many parts from po as possible from Ferrari and, of course, their engine from Ferrari. So I just named at least four locations that one team is operating out of in at least three time zones. And even if they are operating financially at the cost cap, because of how spread out everything is, there are going to be financial inefficiencies. So does the team need more money? Honestly, probably. Like, motor racing teams always need more money. But they need investment and restructuring. And I don't think Gunther or Gene Haas are going to do, we're going to do either of those things. Yeah, I think it felt like a lot of now, especially in the situation, pointing fingers of it all. But it's, it, I don't think that, you know, the kicking of Gunther is suddenly going to fix it all. It, but yeah, it, the proper investment in the right places is hitting the nail on the head here. That's going to be Haas's biggest thing that they need to do. Um, and got just that entire setup of being in all of those different locations doesn't necessarily scream efficiency. Yeah. And also, this is really called into question. Like, does the sister team model even work? And if so, what is the ceiling of it? You know, because of course we have AlphaTauri and Red Bull, but they're basically owned by the same organization and they have shown the limitations over the last couple of years of what that model could actually be. And I think Haas is very clearly the sister team of Ferrari. And we have seen that that doesn't necessarily bear fruits. So I selfishly, from an enjoyment standpoint, I am very happy that the sister team model doesn't seem to be working out for teams because I don't want more junior teams on the grid. This is what we have F2 and F3 and other other racing series is for. Uh, but it also just doesn't seem like 
to be working out for the teams on the grid itself. I don't think that necessarily just because you have a close relationship with Ferrari, that means Haas is going to perform any better or worse than their team is capable of doing. Yeah, I I really am just against the sister team model just in the fact that there's no way that the there's always going to be one team that's stuck. There's always going to be one team that it's not going to out begin to really outperform in a way because that that won't last long. Um so I think but I don't also to that point I don't at least right now in F1 see unless there is a ruling put in place, I don't see that model changing just because it's a team would rather, I think, exist, aka the Haases or the like Alphataris, than like just not exist, but still be like that. It's it's such little sister energy. I don't know how else to explain it besides like it, you're just gonna be there, but you're not, it's not gonna be like you know as as good and as much and getting you know the hand me downs and X Y Z type things. Um, it just doesn't seem like this successful way. That's why this move is so confusing and surprising to me, though, because up until this point, I felt like Gene Haas was perfectly happy with just owning a Formula One team and didn't seem to particularly care the performance of said Formula One team. So it was like, ah, yes, as long as it's financially stable and we will save costs by just borrowing as much from Ferrari as possible. And I have a Formula One team. And firing Gunther, who is the only positive commercial face of this team, in a sign to show that you actually care about on-track performance, is the first time in the existence of Haas that I feel like this has happened, where Gene Haas has decided to actually invest in caring in on-track performance. Because up until now, it's been like Gunther's done a good enough job, and he is a huge commercial face. And that's enough. That's... And it, it... To bring up the next point of a really interesting piece that Gunther has tied to not just Haas, but Formula One as a whole. The every single comment on, you know, the announcements of Haas um, and Gunther, Gunther departing from Haas. It seems like all of the fans were, this is a big mistake. I don't want to root for Haas anymore. Or it seemed like that was the overwhelming majority. So do you feel like that there's going to be a larger or any sort of, you know, commercial fallout or, you know, fallout from fans because of Gunther's tie and face of the team. Like now they're going to be missing that piece. They have a pretty uninspiring from a commercial standpoint driver lineup too. So it's not like we can, uh, if I was running the marketing or commercial side of F1, I could like decide to really lean in on these like dynamic, exciting personalities. Like if they still had Mick, that they could really like lean into that and make Mick the face of Haas. But yeah, I mean, the number of people I know who know of Haas or care about Haas far beyond they ever should because of how popular Gunther as a personality was is huge. Like those people, like we talk all the time about how hard it was to care about Alfa Romeo on the grid. Like who is, and who was an Alfa Romeo fan now stake will be Audi. There, there was no investment. There, it's very hard to invest in a rotating cast on a back of the team grid. And Gunther Steiner was that anchor point for whether it was a sponsor or a fan to invest in. So I just, I think the bet Gene Haas is making right now is that they can improve on track performance enough that people will just start to care about the team 
but they would need to turn it around really fast. They need to give me a reason to care because I was already struggling to care about this team with an exciting team principal like Gunther Steiner. I struggle to find a yellow sector note for them every week. There's nothing going on. Yeah, and they're, they definitely gave you some um, news right away. But if if they were going this route, and I mean, it's not like they, it's not like Haas and you know Gene were unfamiliar with how beloved we'll use Gunther was to like a lot of people within the F1 space and how his departure would go, would eventually be released to the public. Uh, so we recently this weekend got quotes from Gunther that he was able to kind of like share his side of everything of what we, you know, how his experience was and kind of really what happened. And what was revealed from his quotes was that it, you know, it was a phone call between Christmas and New Year's and that like in between limbo time. And the part that really stuck out to me was that he did not get to say goodbye to anyone at Haas. He didn't get to say goodbye to the team. So Gunther's first public, you know, acknowledgement of all of this. And before even like talking about his side of it all, he wanted to take a moment to thank the people that he worked with, that he left at Haas because he did not get to do that. And that already, if there wasn't a bad taste in someone's mouth about, you know, this departure and whether just people loved him, there was a way that it maybe could have been handled that it doesn't seem so now Haas versus Gunther, especially when you're wanting fans to then be rooting for Haas. You don't want to suddenly become the villain. Like there could have been like some way that maybe it wasn't as explosive and, you know, Gunther coming out and the quotes that he gave does definitely continue to paint Haas as like the villain energy of it all. Yeah, you're pretty spot on because Haas didn't need to give Gunther's PR team such an easy PR win of being able to say, they didn't even let me say goodbye and this has been my team for so long. And like, they really swung things in his favor even more. But I, you know, a heel turn for Haas could be fun in the scope of F1. Yeah, it, it definitely, it, it could be interesting. I mean, if depending if they, you know, decide to lean into this energy, it it's going to be very an interesting um, kind of development moving forward. And, you know, Gunther play, like leaves being in the role, like I get to spend time with my family and this and that. It's, yeah, it's it definitely looks like an easy lob for Gunther's PR team for sure. Well, before we wrap up, I think we should talk a little bit about Haas's new team principal. Their new team principal is Kamatsu. He has been in Formula One working for various teams since 2003. So not only is he incredibly recognizable because he always sat on the pit wall right next to Gunther, but he's just a face that's been in Formula One for years. So he started as an F1 tire engineer at BAR in 03. Then in 06, he moved and became a performance engineer at Renault. Um, in 11, he was, became a race engineer at Renault, um, notably for Roman Grosjean. Um, by 2015, he became the chief race engineer at the Lotus F1 team. And then he joined Haas in 2016 as their trackside engineering director. And he's been in that role up until now when he took over as team principal. Um, so a new face. Um, I, not someone, even though he's been very notable in F1, not someone we've heard a lot from. So I'm excited to see his dynamic in the press conference, which of course is, is what I immediately go to. Because again, this is Haas. I'm not sitting here like, I wonder if this new team principal is gonna make them a star team. Like, nah, but I'm just excited to see 
how are they going to entertain us? Like, is he going to be entertaining? Are we going to get a change in the driver lineup? Like what? I mean, I don't think going into this year, they'll shake it up that badly, but we, again, we keep talking about how boring Haas is. So I'm excited to see his version of Haas and can they make it exciting and entertaining? Yesterday I was at the Peterson Museum in Los Angeles, Nicole, and I saw- For her birthday. It was her birthday. It was Brianna's birthday yesterday at the time of filming. Happy birthday, Brianna. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And I saw one of the coolest cars I've ever seen. It's a historic moment in F1 history. Uh, I saw the car that Lewis Hamilton had to jump into because his car at the Vegas GP broke down and he had to ride around the track with Sergio Perez. (laughs) And I thought you were going to say Lightning McQueen. (laughs) I saw him too. But yes, the emergency Lewis Hamilton uh, driver uh, parade car with Sergio. Yeah, it was a, a great emergency pairing put together. And I like, they're definitely purposefully leaving those stickers on, on those cars oh, yeah. for probably as long as they can. I also saw the Fernando Alonso sticker and the Max Verstappen sticker. I also, of course, saw a bunch of historic F1 cars, but those were there the last time I was there. And it just felt like a bigger deal. Oh, but there was an F1 car there that wasn't a part of the collection when we went about this time last year. It is Sergio Perez's race-winning racing point car was there. Ooh, that's a fun one. I would have liked to see that one. Yeah, and the way I described it to the people I was with was this is the reason that we currently have Sergio Perez in the second Red Bull seat. (sighs) And that's why there's not really a lot of competition at Red Bull right now. It all goes back to that Yeah, which is, wow, what a... I hate to give so much power in, in saying that to Racing Point, but yeah, kind of. If you really want to play like that domino effects meme, like that's exactly why we are where we are right now. Nicole and Brianna are venturing into the wild, ready to get muddy, figuring out what the FIA zebras are currently up to. New season, new props. We love props! <laughs> I can see drama at the FIA. Uh, I can see absolutely nothing new. (laughs) But somehow. The FIA manages to constantly be in the news. And so it is not shocking that in a downtime for F1 news, we have an entire Into the Wild segment to do. Uh, We have mentioned that Steve Nielsen left as sporting director in the last couple months. But now also Tim Goss is leaving his role as single-seater technical director, which means the FIA has lost their sporting regulations person and their technical regulations person for, well, single-seaters as a whole, but to what we care about, F1. How are things crazier? (laughs) Yeah, uh, both of those roles seem to be uh, like something that should be incredibly important to have in, you know, the... Federation, International Federation for, you know, motorsports and things. We really feel like those uh, should be things to have. But somehow, it like, the outcome, I, I'm just not surprised at it all. Yeah, I, I do think we're at a state where I don't think I could ever feel worse about the state of the FIA. But it does feel like they keep, they keep hitting me with things. And I'm like, ah, it is getting somehow. And look, it's not that I think these two people 
as humans, as adults with a job are crucial. It's just, of course, what the FIA needs right now is more instability. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's the whole piece, like all of uh, the apparent reasoning of Nielsen having to depart because the FAA does not want to implement any change is like really unsettling because you know the FIA most definitely really needs some change so um it's it's concerning uh to hear that be like the reasoning coming from any position within the FIA let alone you know sporting directing um to be covering a lot of the potential like safety things that have been big concerns just big big scares also just that he was in the role for less than a year more big red flags uh doesn't make me feel too good about this upcoming season of hoping that that you know regulating would be better and i believe tim goss also joined within the last two years max so like these are both people who took on very big jobs very recently and they're now out. We also got an update on who's replacing Nielsen. Um, it's Tim Malyon, I believe. And he, uh, people have been all up in arms because he's a former Red Bull guy, but like they're, everyone in the FIA is a former something. So I'm not gonna dive into that even though it's fun. Uh, but his job for the last year or so is that he's been a project lead in the FIA's like remote stewarding center that we've seen do absolutely nothing. So this guy might be great, but it really doesn't boost my confidence that the current sporting director has been in charge of the off-site FIA regulation sporting center that we've seen no positive impact from the sport on existing because things just seem to get messier since they implemented that. So again, I know nothing about Tim personally. He probably is a great guy. And like, I'm excited for him to get a promotion, but this promotion is doing nothing to make me feel better about the current state of the FIA and regulating F1. Yeah, uh, definitely also does not give me any good vibes about it. I think my opinion about who was ever going to come in as a replacement it didn't really matter because if the big issue was that like the FIA doesn't feel like implementing change, then they'll either just have someone come in, try to do it. And once again, they leave, or they're going to have someone come in. That's very complacent with the way that things are. Don't know a lot about Tim, but given previous factors, maybe it could be this way or not. I don't know. Doesn't feel good is, is really where I'm at for it. Do you think that this is the end of major announcements we're going to get about FIA leadership leaving? Or do you think this is the beginning of a trend we're going to continue to see at least over the next month or two leading up to the season? I do not feel like this is the end, um, whether it's like before the season or throughout the season, given how other things happen, if other instances go down. But usually when... Things I'm a firm believer also things happening in threes. So you're at like one, two, and then it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, it just, there's, there's something inside the house and people are starting to get a little bit fed up with it. At least, you know, and maybe that will spark change eventually, or maybe not. And who knows what it'll all come down to, but I, I don't think we're done. Yeah. I think that 
the the cat is too far out of the hat or whatever whatever random weird metaphor you want right now and i don't mean that in people leaving the fia i actually mean that in f1 is now operated too far to a point like every other major sports league and every other major sports league controls its refereeing and they do it to less of a headache than what it is now. Like in every year past, I think F1 as an entity has been equal chaos at, to the FIA. So they both could kind of like be like, huh, that's your problem. Well, I'm a mess over here. But F1, it now runs itself too much like a professional business that I, I think it's gonna continue to be chaos over in the FIA until F1 decides to actually leave or F1 is able to use enough political leverage to get the FIA to also operate like a fully functioning business that yeah. isn't a mess. My brain was just like, oh, look, another reason for F1 to just totally kind of tell the FIA to F off. But, you know, that's what we're seeing on this for like safari today. More drama, probably before we even drop this episode. Who would have thought? Not me. Just kidding. That's why we have this entire segment. Also, if you're only listening on audio, I don't normally uh, talk about the visual bits, but we, we have some fun new visual bits, so you should hop over to YouTube and uh, see how we've upgraded the segment this year. Regulation reset is coming. 2026 feels so far away, but it also feels like tomorrow. So this entire segment really messes with my brain. Yeah, it's it, trying. I'm I'm so focused on 2024 right now that thinking 2026 is it seems like wow that's so many races. Who knows what Formula One will even look like by that time that we get there in terms of drivers and team principals and teams on the grid. But at the same time, these regulations are going to be here before we know it. I also think as non Red Bull fans, it centers me and makes me happy to think about 2026 as something that is close so every new little bit of news i like gobble up i'm like ah yes the next time mercedes has a chance is kind of where my brain is what will this world look like what will it be will it be will we be fine will it will there be change <laughs> so the big news that came out this week is that williams is following mclaren and announcing that they're going to be staying as a mercedes customer engine team from 2026 to 2030 this means a couple things. It means that Mercedes retains the like, title as the engine manufacturer with the most cars that are going to be on the grid. They're going to have six cars running their engines on the grid, which is both McLarens, both Williams, and both Mercedes, of course. Red Bull, the well, Red Bull Ford is going to have four with the Red Bulls and the Alphatari. And then the only team we haven't heard from yet is Haas, I'm just making the assumption that Haas is going to go with Ferrari, which means that Ferrari will also have four cars on the grid and every other engine manufacturer that's joining will only have two. So we, we've now, I feel like we now have an understanding of the 2026 engine landscape. And as a Mercedes girly, I'm excited about it. Yeah, I mean, we definitely always um, want, I, I think the option, I'm honestly trying to find the hope alarm and I can't fork and find it. <laughs> <laughs> I look like my dad trying to read a menu. I'm I'll like, hope alarm myself. This restaurant's too dark. Um, there it is. 
look, we're we're in new sets with new layouts. Please bear with us. There will be some hiccups um, if I leave this in the episode, which I probably will now that I'm explaining it. And Nicole gave that really funny line about her dad trying to read a menu in the dark. Um, so bear with us for a couple episodes as we like learn our new sets and where the media board is and everything. Okay, well, now that my brain has come back to reality, yeah, um, we can be Delulu, we can do whatever we want, because, wow, the more people that decide to choose a Mercedes engine, this means good things for us. Means good things, because if if it was the opposite, then they would not have the most engines on the grid. And that's simple math, and that's math, and that's great, and it means a really good thing for 2026 us. So, it's fine. So, the next two years... Don't really matter unless some magic happens and, you know, things go great for Mercedes, then it matters. If not, 2026, here we go, baby! <laughs> yeah, uh, some background if you're not uh, a big nerd like me. Uh, data really, really matters. So the more cars you have running your engine, the more data collection you get on the performance of that engine. So more cars is better. And so Mercedes having the most cars means that they're going to have more data than any other engine to evaluate the performance of that. Um, also, we are currently in an engine freeze. So that's why we're not hearing a lot right now about engine updates and engine changes. But we hit 2026 and that engine freeze lifts with the new engines, which means the same way they're updating cars now, they finally get to go back to updating engines too. So more data can theoretically update better and quicker. I also just find it very comforting. Like McLaren, when they made their announcement, we talked about how they toured the Red Bull factory and still chose to be a Mercedes customer. Williams, I'm sure had talks with every other team on the grid that's going to be producing an engine and still felt comfortable enough with the current state of the Mercedes engine program that they're working on leading into 2026, that they went with that. And despite, it's been a couple down years that they can't fix because of an engine freeze for the Mercedes power unit and the Honda power unit is the most powerful on the grid that conveniently happened right before the engine freeze. Uh, no, I'm not salty about it. I promise. <laughs> um, I just, it is, it is comforting to know that people, that people who are making these decisions still feel confident in Mercedes. And I'm going to, I'm going to follow and feel that confidence with them. <laughs> and I, I Right in that confidence with you. And with these, with the two teams that you have with between Williams and McLaren, not that they're both like back of the grid or like top of the grid, whatever you want to say, they're both different enough from each other that you could say that they have different goals in what their race weekends look like. So where they see themselves developing McLaren and Williams, very different goals of what they're at least hoping their 2024 looks like, 2025, 2026. So that they're both in the space of, I mean, McLaren had some incredible races last year that we were able to see things that had us sitting here being like, hi, Mercedes, you guys are riding the same engine. How, what, what's happening here that they know that you don't know? And then when you have Williams that, you know, Alex Albon can work some magic and they had positive race weekends, but not the same as McLaren that they're both in the place to be making decisions and that they both have their the faith in Mercedes that they both need to grow and hopefully perform well. It's great that they see Mercedes as the answer for different types of problems and goals. Yep. hundred yes, percent. I agree with you. <laughs> yep. Uh, a reminder, Aston Martin isn't going to stay with Mercedes because they are going to become the Honda works team 
Uh, Red Bull is moving to Red Bull Powertrains. Ferrari is Ferrari. We're not talking about Alfa Romeo stake because they will be Audi at that point. Um, and I believe that is every other team on the grid that, oh, and Alpine is still running Renault engines and I just forget they exist. So. Oh yeah. Well, we'll see. So, yeah. We'll see what goes on there. And gosh, the Andretti of it all. Let's not even dig that up because we don't even have time. Nicole and Brianna, a safety car has been deployed. Please speed up to reach the PR nightmare that has occurred. All right, disclaimer going into this. This is something that Nicole and I are both very emotional and angry about. And we want to talk to you all about it and share our thoughts and feelings. And it's probably going to be more feelings than thoughts. And that's okay. This is Gridwalk. We are the co-hosts and co-founders of Gridwalk. And this is our space to share these feelings. If you do not want to hear two women talk about uh, how we felt about there being an AI woman created instead of hiring women for a job, uh, you can use the time codes in the descriptions and completely skip over this section. And honestly, I wouldn't even be offended. Like you do you like also just like protect your peace. Like maybe it won't be helpful or feel good to you to listen to us vent to each other about this. And that's fine too. So this is your disclaimer. This is your warning. Oh my God, Nicole, I can't believe this happened. I feel like we live in a dystopian society. This was one of those where I'm like, this was a room of men. This was the, this is the corporate Mattel room in the Barbie movie led by Will Ferrell that was like, we're going to decide that this is definitely a good idea. And there was no woman in the room to raise their hand to be like, I'll give you five reasons right away why this will offend people, upset people, and just not be a great idea. (laughs) Right, like, my brain instantly wants to go to the practical, here is why this sucks, even just from the implementation from a practicality standpoint. Like, it is so much harder to build a fake AI-generated person to create content for you than to just hire influencers, many of which who might even be able to do this for free for you, just for, like, access. Like, you give an influencer access, they'll create content for you and i'm not saying people shouldn't be paid because they should but that there is no reason like the only reason you could explain this ai influencer being a better idea from a practicality standpoint is that you don't actually need to talk to women you could make women say the words you want them to say without having to actually speak to someone it's it it's it's all insane it's so I, my brain could not get around the, the like piece of how obvious it is right now that like women representation in motorsports is important because I can wholeheartedly tell you the decision behind this. Someone was like, this is great. We're going to have an AI influencer, but an AI influencer, that's a woman because you, t- you got to tell the AI something you have to tell. And that is a conscious choice that someone thought was going to be received positively and didn't think, huh, wow, all of the females in motorsports that we could highlight and give an opportunity to maybe do something to work with for like a million reasons of why the females that are in motorsports present value, they immediately threw that out the window. And to the point where like a lot of people are questioning the legitimacy or like the value that AI brings. And given like everything that we're just coming off to after the writer's strike and something like that, it felt like a little bit of a spit in your face of, yeah, we'd rather generate a fake woman than give all of the women in motorsports that should have a platform and be elevated and highlighted 
that have a fan base and a following. Now nah, we're going to use a fake one instead. I keep trying to think if they went with, you know, like a white male, if it would have gotten this same kind of backlash. And I do think it would have gotten backlash to, but to a lesser degree. And I think that is okay. And that is right. You know, cause as women in sports fields, we spend so much more of our time and energy trying to break down doors and opportunities. I think if I saw a male AI character, I would feel very similar levels of anger because again, it is an opportunity that could go to a living, breathing person, no matter their gender identity. And they decided to give it to a fake robot <laughs> internet created thing. Um, and I have seen a lot of pushback on, but the tech is so cool and they were just trying to be innovative. And I think we went this entire time, by the way, I'm just realizing without saying that this was a Formula E team that rolled, attempted to roll this out. We just started screaming about it. So if you did, um, I really hope that if you're watching this on YouTube, I probably put some things up on the screen to give context before we just started screaming. But to those of you on audio, I'm so sorry. Uh, but Sterling Bagley, I think, it is so hard for me to look at the coolness of the tech possibility being there when it feels more inefficient and it just, it just looks like a inability to give someone a job. Like it just, there's no, you're right. Like you said the word tone deaf, like there's no other way for me to put it other than like, you thought people would take this well. I don't, yeah. I don't, ah. It's a really not being able to read the room of kind of like understanding how this is going to be perceived. One of the biggest parts of marketing is like really sitting down and thinking about every person that would consume this and think about every wrong thing, right thing, and just overall how it could be perceived. And it really seems like that was like jumped over on this one. Just. And AI isn't inherently bad. And I know that the last year has been a uh, revolution in people talking about AI and us learning what AI's possibilities are. And a rule of thumb I have in my non-grid walk day-to-day -day life when trying to consider whether to use AI is, is this actually more efficient than using a real person? Is the outcome going to give me something better than using a real person? <laughs> and is this put me in like Blade Runner? Like, if it crosses the line of me feeling like I'm living in some dystopian fantasy reality, then we probably shouldn't use AI. Like, certain things that, like, I think AI could help us out with in the future is they might be able to quickly pull a lot of information for you. Um, so being able to use really advanced machine learning algorithms that, where one day maybe you and I would be able to say, hey, AI ruler overlord, please tell me what's currently trending in the F1 space. And then we could use that to form a, maybe these are the things we'd want to talk about. And, but it's a baseline that we then create something creative on top of. But using it to replace a human really doesn't pass my Blade Runner test. Yeah, it's big dystopian Black Mirror episode type energy. I also struggle and like, again, oh no, too much of my marketing brain because it just like never turns off. The 
purpose of an influencer and yes like i'm not trying to ignore that like influencers can also be paid for certain things that type of stuff but the original purpose of an influencer is a human who is then able to take their experiences their opinions and then share that with their fan base with their audience and that audience has a level of trust with that person because they don't want to be it's different than following like a brand itself Yes. Following an AI influencer is no different than following whatever the brand is because the brand created the AI influencer. So following a brand's page and an AI influencer, same thing. You don't have that like human piece of it. It's all coding. It's all coding. It's they're not sentient yet. I know. And and that that's so like, that so hits the nail on the head because it is it all gets back to me, no matter who the visual representation of their AI influencer was going to be, it was trying to get all the benefits of having a content creator be able to create interesting, engaging content without having, without dealing with any of the human aspects of it. It was like, we want a pretty face that we can put our words into their mouth. And that doesn't actually achieve any of the marketing goals or benefits of having that person there. So oh, it's big just... ick. All those were all the phrasing, all of it is so spot on, but it's such, it's such big ick. It does just feel like someone that wants to just have like a pretty face as a puppet. Um, because if you wanted to be having a female individual in this space, you would have gotten a real one. Um, yeah. <laughs> Before we wrap this up, because I don't want to just totally rant <laughs> into the abyss, even though it feels really good <laughs> to do, uh, I do think it's worth pointing out, one, I loved seeing the backlash on social media, and particularly from men who were equally irate and upset about this happening. So like, thank you if you're one of those people who did that and said something and talked, uh, whether it was on a platform you had, or you just messaged someone on social media, you posted something, you retweeted something, uh, because of course they have since backtracked, um, very poorly. They were like, you guys just don't understand, but like, no, we understand. Please just thank you for not doing this. We Um, wanted to innovate. Nope. That's not what you want to do. Well, you know, maybe that was the goal, but like, if you have a diverse group of people in the room when you're trying to make this decision, and even if they do, but you would give those people voices and allow them to uh, speak up, then, then you can innovate in ways that are entertaining and interesting. (laughs) I wouldn't call this one of them, but, um, so I do like, it was very nice and comforting to see the motorsports community as a whole kind of all raise their hands and be like, this is not good. (laughs) We do not like this. Oh, so that, that probably is something that maybe even two years ago wouldn't have happened, that there wouldn't have been such a groundswell of people being like, no. You did uh, this but, wrong. Right. And, and this is where public shaming, I think, is positive, where we all just like politely raised our hands and we're like, no, thank you. And here's why. And now it's not happening. Um, but I do want to point out the idea of having an on-track, behind-the-scenes influencer was a good one. And I want to make sure that teams out there understand that inviting content creators or even having a content creator you work with for an entire season to give behind the scenes information is a really, really good idea. We just want you to hire one of the thousands and thousands of people who do have a following, who have a voice and could create interesting, engaging content to, for you to actually be posting that. 
Yeah. You don't need to create someone. I promise you a lot of people are out there and willing to do it. And if you're worried about the finances of that, um, one of the really cool things about motorsports is that it is global. So if you, like, this is something I was brainstorming and all, all motorsports teams, all sports teams could take this and for free, here's my idea for you for free, is grab an, a local influencer in every city you go to. So F1 is visiting 24 different cities across the entire globe. And if you're an F1 team and you want to create more behind the scenes content, I guarantee you there is an influencer who has a major following or creates engaging, interesting content in the city you're attending. So you don't have to pay for flights and you don't have to pay for hotels for them. And they'll definitely work with you and come and create this kind of behind the scenes content with you. If you need help, I am more than happy to give you the list of 24 people you should hire in 24 cities. Like I, so it's just, don't shy away from this idea. Just do it with real people. Right. It's like that whole thing where you're hoping it's like the success of the Barbie movie. You don't want there to be more movies about toys. Like just because people were upset about like this, this behind the scenes AI influencer wasn't because it was a behind the scenes AI influencer. Like it's like, don't, don't do it because like this happened, do it just the right way and for the right reasons. Take the right thing away. Don't make more movies about toys. Make more movies about the female experience. <laughs> like, Don't think we don't want behind the scenes content. We just want it made by a living, breathing human that doesn't make me feel like I'm living in a dystopian society. So in a lot of my like setup was taking things from my work desk and now putting it on this desk. And something that I realized mm -hmm. was just a bit for myself on my desk. I've had my two little formula one cars. Um, and then I've had this Elmo, it's a bath toy Elmo. And I put my, one of my keychains broke. So it's pit stop Elmo. And he holds <laughs> my tire. It's pit stop Elmo. Is that, and he, yes, does have a bath toy in his hand. We ignore that. And he's, you know, I, it's tools. Pit stop Elmo coming to a child's place that near you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm surprised that they don't have like, do they not have a racing Elmo in some way? They might. This is a, this is a childhood toy. I like found this and I was like, ooh, El I love Elmo. And I had him on my desk holding a little tire. And now he's here, made it into the big times. <laughs> I think we're secretly Williams girlies. Secretly, not so secretly. I'm not. So we've secret. made, yeah, not so secret. We've just been making so much content about Williams, but Williams is keeping us fed in this off season, and they're just making so many decisions and sharing so much stuff that I, I just big kudos. Williams is doing it right. Williams is definitely not taking the off season off. Yeah, I. Williams has, is doing so many things in the marketing and sponsorship realm that have made me excited in the last month. And I think that's why we're creating more Williams content than we both ever have and versus every other team. So we, we're definitely going to talk about their Abercrombie launch and that incredible try-on video they did with Logan Sargent. But I think we have to start with what's probably the bigger news, which is that they're going to be launching their car in New York City. And since then, we learned they're doing it at the Puma store. And like, there's so many different directions we can take this conversation. But we have to start with, it's a really big deal that Williams is launching in New York City. That's huge. That's crazy. I mean, Red Bull did it last year and it was a big deal when Red Bull did it for a lot of reasons. And it also being like the first F1 car launch that was in the U S 
So then just for another team and, you know, Williams coming in to do it this year continues to speak about you know, F1 popularity in the U.S., but particularly a city like New York comes with so much, um, you know, access to business, access to entertainment, just access to people. It, it is really a major hub in the U.S. for like so many different types of things. So it's it's such a smart decision and exciting decision like removing that hi i'm in new york williams if you need someone to just you know like take up space that so doesn't like look like no one is there i'll totally take one for the team um and i can be there in an hour or less and but it there's so many things about it that are getting me excited for the season excited for williams that i just know that they're going to handle this situation like really really well and be impressive yeah i you know, there's three U.S. races, and none of them are in what I would call the major entertainment centers of the country. I mean, Vegas is Vegas, but it's a very specific thing. And Miami is more, um, we always joke that Miami is the most northern point of South America and not the most southern point of, of North America. Yeah. Or well, of America. But it's, and then Austin is like this, you know, cool, fun city. But New York is in every movie ever for a reason. Like, New York mm -hmm. is New York. It is the business, fashion, entertainment hub of the country. Like, there's a reason every other major U.S. sports have their headquarters there. Every financial institution has their headquarters there. Uh, daytime TV is there. Late night TV is there. There's a couple that base themselves out of L.A. And Hollywood studios and big production studios base themselves out of L.A. But every other industry new york is new york for a reason there's a reason why we get rumors of an f1 race in new york city every other year and it's because how big of a deal it would be like if you live in europe and you think of london as this big city and epicenter multiply that by about a hundred and that's the kind of deal new york is even within america like sometimes we talk a lot about like american stereotypes and trends and things and like Whatever you feel about New York, it's probably true, and it's probably bigger than you think it actually is. And yes, we do have a little bit of an East Coast bias going here on this show, and I will not apologize for that. Yes, uh, we, uh, we. New York is everything and more. It is where dreams are made of and go to die. It is everything that you need it to be and more, and everything that you expect it to be. So... With, like I said, it's really was a big deal for Red Bull to have their launch last year. With Williams just being who they are and the, you know, marketing geniuses that they are, I think they can take away a lot from what Red Bull has done. Um, I do feel in my gut that Williams will be taking better advantage of being in New York and you know, using all of those things that you had said that New York has to offer for their advantage. I think right off the bat, the fact that they are choosing to do their car launch in the Puma flagship store in the middle of New York, that this is on a major shopping like area in the city. It's like right in the center. You're not like in a convention center where, you know, you're not advertising where it is saying that it's happening in the store. If they don't want fans inside, they want them outside. So exactly. they already want to be making a presence and like showing up in the middle of New York City, like already says a lot about that, you know, their decisions that they're making. It's already to me a much more fan focused event because you're putting it in such more of an accessible place. So I, at least in that sense, I'm more excited uh, about the Williams launch than Red Bull was last year. 
Williams also gets the benefit of being year two of a New York City launch, so they can see everything Red Bull did and be like, how can we make this better? I think, uh, think fan-focused is just a good way to describe everything Williams does. Williams also takes care of their sponsors to such a degree that you completely understand why people want to partner with this organization. So to your point, they could have had this everywhere, but they are a Puma team now. Puma is their main supplier for merchandise. And they've decided to give Puma the value of showcasing and doing this car launch at a Puma store. That is a way to give back to your sponsors. The amount of times that we said Puma on this podcast now, just because of this, is, is showcasing enough just the value that they are providing to their sponsor by hosting this at a Puma store. I also think that because of that, they're going to be able to take more advantage of shots of the city. It, it really was disappointing with the Red Bull launch that they were in New York City, but the only reason I knew that is because they kept telling me and they were in this like closed dark room. And so they did do some fun promotion uh, before where they took photos of the car on New York City streets. But I'm really hoping that Williams takes that to the next level. I want to be able to see some sweeping shots maybe during the launch. But then also, like, please put Alex Albon on every possible daytime TV and late night TV that they can get him on. Like, have they also, the benefit of being in New York is they could have every major magazine just like, show up. Like, have the New York Times reporter be able to come. That Vogue can do a feature on them. GQ can be there because they all have New York City offices. And most importantly, to me as a sports fan, ESPN has an office in New York City. And we've been talking a lot about how ESPN hasn't really super capitalized on the fact that they own the rights. And there's so much more they could be doing. And being able to do a car launch right next to ESPN offices. Maybe it's not the Bristol campus, but it is the, the New York City office. There's just, the opportunities are endless. Put them places, utilize being in a place like New York City. I would love to see Alex or Logan or anything Williams related, like uh, featured on ESPN in some way, shape or form. Again, could be re- another opportunity for, you know, Williams to be uplifting a partner because really seems like they're doing like the brunt of that I, I'm my, one of my biggest wishlist items for the 2024 year is drivers being in like more media spaces and, you know, doing those different kinds of interviews. I want so badly for an F1 driver to be on hot ones filmed in New York, just saying would really yes. make sense. And I think you have two drivers that would be really fun to have on hot ones and Williams could do it. Um, but they we have, also know- yeah, go ahead. We also know that Alex recently signed with American Agency Company. And by recently, I mean in the last year or so. So, and Logan is an American driver and they always are trying to leverage off of that. So to your point, not only are there two drivers with fantastic personalities, but there's two drivers with the teams that are backing them who could uniquely capitalize on this in a way that I think only a few other drivers on the grid can right now. You know, of course, Lewis, Daniel Ricardo, Charlotte Claire just hired a represent a, a team that is American based, but Alex Albon has had one for a year and Logan is American. So it's just, it's weird that we're talking about Williams of all teams being the most uniquely suited to make the most out of a massive New York City launch. And we're not even talking about the car because 
the reality is these car launches are more about generating buzz and excitement for the season. And I think in the best case, providing fans with something that they enjoyed watching and make them talk going into the season. Yeah, this is when we start to see a lot of the comments of they shouldn't call it a car launch anymore. They should just call it a livery launch. It's like, okay, For a yeah, season you're launch. not, yeah. yeah, like you're, you're not wrong, but whatever. We'll call it what we want to call it. But yeah. <laughs> it, uh, and it, Williams is just like absolutely on fire with all of it. And, you know, with all of this, most recently, they, at the end of last season, soft launched being part of the Abercrombie F1 collection after McLaren had already, you know, released some items and like had some merch out there. Then last week we finally get a video, Logan Sargent going into an Abercrombie and trying on the Williams collection, which doesn't seem like that should be like, so, oh my God, we, Lando has it, Oscar has it, tried on the McLaren stuff, Williams keeping us fed and just what a, what a great video doing exactly what, you know, drivers, fashion, we also love that F1 collection. They did a really great job with it. Well, Abercrombie has been making secretly some of the, I mean, I guess it feels secretly because no one's really talking about it. Some of the best sports related merch. It has like such a fun vintage feel. The quality is actually very good for the stuff that I personally own. Like I have an Eagle shirt from them that I adore. Uh, and I own some of the McLaren line. So yeah, the line itself is really cool. And I thought it was cool when they soft launched it uh, at the end of last season. But I think we need to talk about the fact that Logan Sargent does look like every boy who worked at Abercrombie when I went to Abercrombie as a preteen. And using him to go try on a bunch of outfits and the way the video was shot really was perfection. Yeah, you know that Logan Sargent was definitely like an Abercrombie kid growing up. It, he does look like the type of person that would have worked in Abercrombie. Except Nicole, he's the generation below us, which means that mm -hmm. he, when he was a preteen, that Abercrombie wasn't cool. Unlike when we were a preteen. Like so maybe like he was really in Abercrombie Kids. Like he was really right? in Abercrombie Kids. <laughs> and I think it, it was, again, one of those Williams choosing to be working with the partner and creating content that is valuable for them and for Abercrombie. And right. also in terms of like Logan's team, we've seen him like try to begin getting involved in fashion. I would love to see him start bringing that to the grid because in my eyes, that's when you really start to see a driver, like say that they are, you know, committed to the fashion game, which we really only see Joe and Lewis doing consistently enough to say that it counts. But Logan has done some photo shoots here and there that I'm just like, okay, like, boy can rock some looks and I'm a little bit impressed. Now I am acknowledging this is also like an Abercrombie fashion video. So it's basically like the bread and butter of fashion. It's like, like noodles. And, it's not the same yeah, thing as when like Lewis Hamilton does a Vanity Fair shoot. But, 100%. But, but it's, it, 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 it's, it's showing... pushing the line. It's pushing the he's okay to be doing a clothing focused style fashion concept content it's showing personality i think that's all we ever ask about drivers is we want them to feel comfortable enough to show us something give us something i don't want you to be a blank slate even if they, the reality is all they do want to think about is racing because these are single-minded focused athletes for the most part and that's totally okay um but i agree i've been really impressed with logan and his team in trying 
um, I think the last six months or so to give him a footing, give him some kind of personality, give us something to latch on to to root for because American driver isn't going to do it for me personally, particularly because he's Florida boy and that's not my America. Like America is way too different and spread out for that to, to work in my opinion. He drives for a relatively back of the grid team. So he's not going to be the next Max Verstappen of the United States. Uh, But if you give him opportunities to create content like this, you're spot on in that it's like, oh, this seems to be him trying to create a brand and a personality that I can at least understand and attach some sort of feeling to. And then Williams is able to do that for him while also providing all this additional content to Abercrombie, because I'm sure that shot they did, this is not the end of what we're going to see. I'm sure they didn't do a whole shoot and brought him to an Abercrombie just for us to only get a couple of press photos and this admittedly fantastic video that I'm obsessed with because it's such great content. So it's just, it, it did, circling back to your point about McLaren, McLaren is a team that does so many fashion partnerships And it is always frustrating to me that I'm not seeing creative content like this from them. Or why aren't Oscar and Lando showing up to the grid every single day with something from their laundry list of partners? Like I could say they have a partnership with Mitchell and Ness. They have one with Abercrombie. I believe they're with PacSun already as well. Um, Then they have their normal merch line. They have their team kits, which is all they wear. And they have the marshmallow collab. Oh my god! Yeah, that's. There's definitely they can't say that they're not interested. And McLaren's also not one to like shy away from fun content. I mean, Abercrombie not only has McLaren merchandise. There's a Lando Norris T-shirt. Like right. what? Like not that I would saying you know Lando should be wearing his own merch, but think about how absolutely yes, hysterical it would be to have Zach Brown or like Oscar put on the Lando Norris. Like there's so many things that you can do with it. So maybe now that Williams has McLaren, someone's like, oh we, we should maybe we should do that. Do it. Okay, sure. I hope if Williams gonna like scare you into doing more fun content that we want to see like this, then go for it. All for it. Yeah. I just in conclusion, I've been so impressed with Williams ability to create exciting engaging content for their sponsors and for for their fans like everything feels like everything mclaren and i'm sorry it feels like everything williams does is fan first and fan focused so it doesn't even feel like i'm watching an advertisement i watched um, almost two minutes of logan Sargent trying on clothes that is very clearly for a sponsor and i was perfectly entertained the whole time when was the last time i could say that about something yeah especially in this sport but I'm loving everything that we're already seeing with this car launch. I just know that everything else to come out of it is just going to be great. And it's still like three weeks away. So shout out to Williams. Really doing, proving everyone how to do it. Showing everyone how to do it. It's the final lap hitting every F1 garage. Get ready for this week's Yellow Sector Notes. First Yellow Sector Notes of season two. Didn't think we were going to let go of this segment. Never. Too much happens every week. All right. We're going to start with Red Bull, run through based on the constructor's standings. Checo invited us all to have a break with Kit Kat this offseason. Lewis Hamilton was on the cover of Wall Street Italia. Ferrari shared what was true and what was false from the Ferrari movie on their YouTube channel. McLaren's three technical directors are all done with gardening leave and have officially started work with the team. Aston Martin has a new merch provider for 2024. 
Alpina shared that they have officially fired up their 2024 car for the first time. I believe we were the first team to have shared that news with us. Williams may have a new logo based on some signage fans spotted in some recent content, or maybe they have some incorrect branding somewhere. Time will tell. Alvatari has officially announced that it will be moving its operations to the UK, sharing a space with Red Bull. No, that doesn't sound suspicious at all. VV shared his updated mullet and bleach routine. Yes, this is the second time in 2024 that there's a haircut on the yellow sector notes. And last but not least, KMag did a Q&A video with his personal sponsor, Admin by Request. That is the gridwalk for January 18th, 2024 completed. How was my sector time today, Nicole? Faster than we built all of these new sets and this furniture with our bare hands. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Gridwalk. Thank you to our co-creators, Nicole Katz and Brianna Klein. Thank you to our four-legged executive producers and me, voiceover man. Don't forget to subscribe, like the video, turn on auto downloads, and leave a review to provide us with a fresh set of tires for the next week's show. You can follow us on social media at Gridwalk Show for daily content. We will be back to walk the Formula One grid every Thursday, and we will see you for the post-Gridwalk debrief in the comments. But today really felt like a grid start of something new. Happy season two! Woo!